Welcome to the Practical Prospecting Podcast with your hosts, Jeb Marley and myself, Maggie Bloom from the Mailshake team. We'll be talking about how to practically set up your outbound outreach game. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practical Prospecting Podcast. I'm your co-host, Maggie Bloom. Today we have Jed Marley on here. And today's topic, we're going to be talking about structuring cold emails. So after talking with Jed today, the biggest takeaway I got from this conversation was your email should be structured somewhat like this. Start with context, then go into your value prop, and then add a CTA in there. But we'll dive into this a little bit more so you can learn exactly what that structure looks like. But Jed, to kick off this conversation, when you're focusing on the structure of cold emails, where do reps get the structure typically wrong? Yeah, for sure. I'd say the biggest thing is just making it too long, obviously, but not having like a framework they can go to. So I think the biggest kind of mistake is trying to say too much at once. So you did a bunch of research on your prospect, you know, like three different things that you can personalize around, or you have like three different pain points you want to mention or three different features you want to mention. So you want to put it all in that first email. And I think that's where typically most reps go wrong in their emails. So they try to say too much. And as a result, they're not saying anything at all. And so that was me all the time is I didn't know how to write an email. I was just like, okay, let me personalize a little bit, tell them what we do, and then you know ask for a meeting. And it wasn't until I got like a really solid framework for how to write those emails that I learned how to cut down the words and be a little bit more effective with the emails. Yeah, you mentioned two really important things and some things that I see go wrong with cold email is either A, it's too long, and then B, there's a lack of any type of framework in there. So people are just like, okay, great. I have to write a cold email. Let me get some information from this person and then write it off the top of my head. And that's not really how any process should be set up. And that's why we're going to be talking about structures and frameworks today. And I think that's also going to help you minimize putting a bunch of fluff in an email. Because when you're starting from actual, like a blank screen, I'm talking no frameworks, nothing, then it's really easy to just start going off rambling in an email, putting fluff in there because you don't have like this map that's setting your way or your framework that's guiding you. And then you're just adding things from there. And it also is going to make the process of writing cold emails a lot easier if you start out with a framework or even an outline before getting into it. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like you only have so much energy in a day. And so (laughs) when you don't have like a, a framework or a way of writing emails, it's really hard to just look at a blank page and then try to write up a whole new email. And when you don't have that like go-to process, it just requires a lot of mental energy to write new emails. And like being an SDR, when your whole job is to write emails and cold call a day, that really just drains your energy. And so, yeah, that, I mean, I'm excited to talk about this framework as well, because like I said, that was definitely me. It was difficult to think where to start when writing emails. I didn't know what was going to work, what wasn't. And um, it's a real time killer if you don't have like a go-to framework for doing it. Yeah. I remember the feeling too, when I didn't have a framework, because I think a lot of us have started out with no frameworks. It's like, are they expecting that I show up every day, like ready to write like Shakespeare or something? And that's the pressure I feel though. (laughs) So I'm like, what am I just supposed to like come up with something off the top of my head? Like, what am I supposed to do here? I'm a salesperson, not like a writer. So I think that's where frameworks could have helped me a lot when I first was an SDR. And luckily I finally found them and I like the one that we're going to talk about today. So Without giving it any more hype, Jed, can you explain, you know, the structure, the framework, just 
you know, high level of, of what we're going to cover today. Yeah. So high level um, the way, so obviously there's, you got the subject line, which we'll talk about, but you know, within the context of the email, the first line or first sentence is context. So why are you reaching out? That should be one sentence long. Sentence two, or the second part of the email is the value proposition. So what is the problem you solve? How do you solve it? Again, that should be one sentence, maybe two. Maybe that first sentence is explaining the problem. The second sentence is briefly talking about how you solve the problem. And then that third line or that third sentence is your call to action, which is at the very bottom of the email. And then using a PS as well. I've always liked using a PS in my cold emails. I use that as a part of my framework, which we'll talk about later. It's not something you always need to put in your emails, but there's some interesting ways you can use a PS to increase reply rates. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about the PS in there because I think it's something that a lot of people overlook or they think like, I finally wrote this cold email. I don't want to put anything else in it. So cool. Let's talk about what I would argue is probably the most important part of this structure that you mentioned. Obviously, all of it needs to be there needs to be on point for you to send it over to someone and have it all flow together. But I think one thing that is really, really important is context. So that first part of the email structure and you specifically call it triggers. So I guess like, can you explain a little bit more of like what a trigger is and what some of your most successful triggers are when you do outreach? Yeah. So again, the first line of the email, like the reason why it's context and why you're reaching out is because that's the preview line that people see without even opening the email. So it impacts open rates, right? So you want to put something in there that doesn't look generic, like, hi, my name is this, or talking about your company. You want to talk about them specifically and show them you know them in that preview line. So that's why it's important for that first line. In terms of what triggers are or buying triggers, it's really just things you can identify from the outside that indicate to you they might be in the market for your solution. They might have a problem you solve. And so the way there's common ones that are pretty popular among all industries, particularly SaaS, like if somebody just changed jobs, there's tons of data showing that when you change jobs or you get promoted to, you know, more of a senior leadership position, that's when most folks are, you know, buying new technology. If they're hiring, for example, you know, when teams grow, you need more technology to support it. So those are some common ones that kind of work across the board, but then there's some more specific ones based on your industry. So Mm -hmm. what I'd recommend you do, if you're listening to this, is go look at your customers, go look at your inbound data, go look at the last you know 20 outbound demos your team booked, take like an hour of deep work to research why those demos were booked, what were the specific reasons that they came inbound or you know ended up buying your solution, and then try to see if any of those reasons are identifiable from the outside. So maybe they all used a specific technology that you integrate with. Well, there's tons of tools that can tell you what tech stack different companies have. So that would be a buying trigger. So what I would do, you know, for writing that first line in the email to save my mental energy is write down that list of buying triggers. So I'll kind of just read off a bunch of them. Um, Recent job change, promotion, like I said, using a tool that you integrate with. Are they first degree connections with any of the executives on your team or somebody on your team so you can get an intro? Um, Do they previously work for one of your customers? Again, that's really popular in SaaS because people are changing jobs all the time. And usually they stick in the SaaS industry. Do you have a really specific case study that's like maybe a competitor of theirs or in their same uh, general industry? Are they hiring? Do they have a lot of recent headcount growth? There's a lot of them, right? But list these down. And then when you're going to personalize your email, just quickly browse their LinkedIn 
go through all these different buying triggers and find the one that matches and then use that to write your initial email. I love it. I love it. And Jed just gave us some some fire ones there that you know can be used. They can be changed a little bit depending on what industry that you're working in, but they could be useful for almost anyone out there. And I think I really like what you said of there could be specific things to your industry and your company that you can use for triggers. And I think that's where creativity behind cold email is so much fun and where you can get a lot of success from it too. So you don't feel like you're just going there, writing another plain email or something like that. And the one way I love to see this is marketing agencies can get pretty creative with this or anything having to do with like web design or SEO is they'll actually just like take their SEO ratings. They'll write something personal about it. Like, Hey, I see that your rating is XYZ or the same with like, Hey, I see your website could be improved by, you know, whatever. I'm not saying that that great, but I like it when they take those triggers that are really personal to, you know, what they do and that problem that they found out by someone too. So I think that there's some nuggets that any company can use like that, where you, that's where the digging, the detective work of sales comes in. And then you can apply that to your trigger or your context in your email. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just let's list them down, get creative, like you said. And then um, what makes it even easier too, is you can just have go-to first sentences. So you don't have to, you know, anytime you find a job changer, you don't have to write up a whole new first sentence for that email. You just plug in the sentence. So it might be like, I mean, congrats on the new role is kind of overused, but it might be like, hey, saw you've been with XYZ company for a few months now. That might be your opening line. And that's not something you have to change from prospect to prospect. It's just anytime you find that buying trigger, you plug in that first sentence and then you move on to the next sentence of the email. And it's just going to save a lot of time. So like we said earlier, you don't have to, you know, waste all that mental energy on trying to write up something new. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, context triggers, super important. I'd argue it's important because it, like Jed said from the beginning, and you know, we were talking about it, it's that preview line. So after the subject line, you know, it's the first thing that you'll see right there, but I want to move on to value propositions. So one beef I kind of have about value props and, you know, the flow of emails and where I see reps get this wrong is like, they might have great context that they gave to me and they send over to me in an email, but then they just like, boom, their value props in there. And it like, it's like, you almost get hit out of nowhere with like, not a pitch, but it's like, wow, that had nothing to do with like the trigger that you just sent me over. And it's like, you could feel like it's copy and pasted. So where do you feel like people fail with the value proposition and what are some ways that they can make sure it ties together? Yeah, like you said, I think the hardest one and the biggest one is relating it to that first line, the context, right? So actually having a good segue or a good transition into your value prop. It was really easy to say, hey, look, I saw you just hired a bunch of you know, new sales reps or whatever, and then just completely 180 and <laughs> yeah. talk about something else in your value prop. But again, these can be templated. You know what I mean? Like you just have to think hard one time about how can I relate my value prop to the trigger of hiring. And then you really don't have to think about it again, right? So mm-hmm. take some time to think about how you can do that transition. And you don't have to rewrite it for every other email. So that's like the biggest thing. And then I think the second thing is just using the customer's language in your value prop as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, not making it sound cheesy, like we're going to save you 12 hours a week. But like you have to talk about a problem they have. And so the easiest way to really land on a problem in your value proposition is by, we talked about it earlier, researching your customers, listening to customer calls, listening to demos, and then trying to pull out specific language they use 
and using that in your value prop. So like a lot of personas struggle with X, Y, Z, but use their language and then obviously plug in your value prop. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, you just have to sit down once and work on this hard. So like for your triggers, make sure your value prop matches that trigger, can flow with that trigger. And it could be like just a matching game there almost because it's like you're talking about, that's where you just like, don't just talk about one value prop or one trigger there. Have it talked about in their language like Jed is talking about and make sure that it's split up for like, if you are hiring someone new, then in our case, it's good to, you know, take a look at sales engagement softwares or kind of redefine the tech stack. So that's always kind of a value proposition that you can put in there and why people go there. So awesome. So we covered context, value prop. And I know you've mentioned this in the article too, that really ties into the value prop, but you mentioned one pain point per email. So let's just dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, your product probably solves more than one problem, but you don't want to list those all out in the same email because again, if you're saying more than one thing, you're kind of saying nothing at all and it's going to read like a really long email. So list out again, only have to do this one time. You know, your sequences should be persona based. So pick the persona you're going after, list out all the problems that you solve for that persona. It's probably going to be like three to five and then list them from one to five based on which one is the strongest problem to the least. And then your first email to that person should be talking about that strongest problem and then only talk about that. And then maybe do another bump email or one more email. If they don't respond, assume that problem's not relevant and move on to the next one. And then do that for your next email thread and continue that on for, you know, two or three email threads. Love it. Yeah. Split up different triggers, split up the value props, split up the different pain points. So then, you know, you just have them ready to go and you have them listed out. And yeah, start out with the strongest one. So where do you win most of your customers at? Where have yeah the most success that you've gotten from emails in the past? Start out with that one and then move on to the other ones. Please. All right, cool. Yeah. We're moving right along in this, but we have two more things I just want to talk about with you. So CTAs, you said in here, don't get fancy with your CTAs. I saw you mentioned this. So what do you mean by this, Jed? Yeah, some call to actions are read like a whole sentence. Like it's a whole sentence. It's confusing. It's a question and then another sentence after it, or it's two questions or, you know, it's like they're trying to do too much. And I whether you want to call us a hot take or not, I, I really don't think that call to actions impact your response rate much at all. If you crushed it with the context and the value prop, then they're going to respond like they know what an email is. If they want to learn more, they'll email you. So you just have to make it simple, like get out of your own way and just use a simple call to action that's interest based. There's tons of data to back this up, particularly for cold emails. Like, would it be worth learning more or open to exploring this? Or can I send over some more info? Just stuff that's super simple, short, and doesn't get in your own way of just getting a response. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that we try to play around with and test a lot and get kind of, it can be almost like analysis paralysis with it. So I think just keeping it simple. And like you said, it's like anyone's expecting to do something at the end of the email. You just want to make sure that they read to the end of the email. So the context value prop is going to help there too. So awesome. I like the don't get fancy. And I always say too, yeah, don't try to make it a long sentence, make it skimmable, make your whole email skimmable. But especially that last line, what I see so often and what I do myself is I just jump to the bottom of an email and see like, hey, what do they want me to do? Is the ask big? If it is, I pretty much ignore the email. If it's like, hey, register for this 30 minute webinar or get on a 30 minute call with me. 
I just archive that email. But if it's a interested, then I will go back and read it. And maybe because I'm like an email weirdo or nerd, but it's what I do. And I know other people do it too, because I've talked with them. Yeah. And I'll say one thing on that too. You know, I know I said call to actions probably don't matter that much, but there is one thing that actually, you know, from like the buyer perspective myself, if somebody offers to like say, hey, can I just send over a video of what we do? If they landed on the problem, like I might be busy, but I'll take a look at that video or, hey, mm-hmm. can I send over a quick exp- like more info? I'll take a look at more info. But if somebody just asked me for a meeting, I might not. I don't necessarily want to take the meeting, but I'd want more info. But if somebody says like, hey, just reply yes, and I'll send over some more info and making it as easy as possible to respond. Mm-hmm. I'll take that up typically more often. So I think there is something to be said about not even saying like, you know, worth the chat or open and learning more, but like understanding that. On a cold email, people don't always just want to give away 30 minutes of their time. So asking if you can just kind of earn that right by sending a little bit more information might open up more responses and more conversations. Yeah. And you're meeting your buyers where they're at. You're giving them something. They can digest it if they want to because it's a lot of how people want to buy right now too, instead of just you know immediately talking to someone about it. So cool. And then... This last section, which I am personally the most excited to talk about because I don't really use PS in my email. Um, I feel like I've been missing out. So I know you mentioned in an article, Jed, that PS actually gives you higher reply rates. So tell me how it does it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we talked about this earlier, which is like the, in the context line, how do you translate that to your value prop? And like a big mm-hmm. thing that people try to get wrong is they'll just find something randomly personalized, like the classic example everybody uses is we both went to the same college or whatever. And that's really hard to transition into your value prop. And you really shouldn't because it just kind of comes across as awkward and it's just a little bit weird. And so sometimes I'll run into those instances where I'm prospecting somebody and they, you know, they grew up in the same general area as me and I just want to call it out, but I don't want to make that the focal point of my email. And so I just put all of that stuff in the PS. It just humanizes me. So if like, I think the example I use in the article is they, you know, somebody, goes to Michigan State and I had an email example in there and I'm a Michigan State basketball fan. So I made a comment about Michigan State basketball, but obviously that's not the focal point of my email. So I just put that in the PS and again, it makes me look human. It further proves that this wasn't just like a robot or automated email. I took time to write it for them. I did some research on them, but I didn't try to base the email around some loose personalization. And so it's a really easy and kind of lazy way of just putting stuff that you want to call out, but don't know how to translate to the email, uh, still keep it in the email, but just put it in the PS. Love it. Love it. And yeah, I think that's, you know, I always have this question for people of like, show me, you know me. And I just talked to Sam McKenna the other day who kind of famously coined that hashtag. But I always say like, it is so awkward for me to do that on a personal level because it does just feel like, hey, we went to the same school or hey, we're both Michigan State fans. So I think the PS is like the perfect place to put it. And it shows that you did do your research to know them. You're standing out. You're making a personal connection. Guess what? At the end of the day, sales is, you know, building relationships. So I just think it's an awesome place to put it. And yeah, it could help with reply rates. And also that's one of the most skimmable parts is when someone pushes down to the PS. So if they read that first, kind of just from scanning, just going to make them want to listen to you a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just humanizes you. And, you know, I've dated a show that's improved my, my response rates again, just because I think it's like just another reason for them to just, you know, want to respond to you because they can see you took the extra effort and you're not just a robot. Absolutely. Awesome. 
Well, yeah, I think, you know, we definitely dove into the subject here, the structure of this. We're going to put in the show notes, um, just some notes on triggers and the structure of this email that we talked about today. But yeah, thanks so much, Jed, for giving us some insight. And we'll catch everyone next time on Practical Prospecting. Thanks so much. This was another episode of the Practical Prospecting Podcast. If you enjoyed yourself today, give us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify Podcast. Thanks so much. Talk to you next time.